Welcome to Paradigms on WBKM.org. This is episode number 66, February 6, 2011. That was Nancy Griffith with her song, Love Conquers All. It's a good song and kind of speaks to our first guest this evening. We've got a really interesting show. First off, we're going to be talking with actor-director Derek Magyar. You may have heard of him, maybe not. Uh, He's done a number of different things. He was in Star Trek Enterprise series. He was in a really uh, great film called Boy Culture, which we'll talk about with him. And he has a film coming out that he directed called Flying Lessons, and he'll tell us more about that. And then we're going to be talking with Shyla Nelson of the Good Earth Singers. She's the founder of this organization, the Good Earth Singers, that is putting together a global chorus for December 21st, 2012. We'll hear more about that. Also, as always, going to play lots of music, and uh, we're going to focus on 
the singing and music of people singing together. And hopefully you'll do some singing yourself tonight. So let's get going, and we'll start out with uh, the first part of my conversation with Derek Magyar. You're listening to Paradigms on WBKM.org. Uh, hello, this is Derek Magyar, uh, actor and director. I'm currently directing Romeo and Juliet at uh, my alma mater, CalArts, and uh, have a film being released in September called Flying Lessons, which I directed, and I'm both an actor and director. Great. Well, welcome to Paradigms, Derek. It's uh, great to have you here. Glad I'm, to be here. I'm curious, uh, how did you get into acting? What What drew you to it, and... How did you manage to get to oh, the point you're you know, at? You know, I I uh, I I've been doing it for a really long time. I went to a school that was very conducive to to art. Um, I started at uh, the age of about ten, really, and up the street from where I went to elementary school was this kind of well-known little uh, theater place uh, for kids called Santa Monica Playhouse. And uh, that's really where I started. And I worked with uh, amazing actors, uh, you know, Jason Ritter and Zoe Deschanel. And these were all people in my class at the, at the school that I went to, Crossroads Elementary. And we all kind of found this theater program at the Santa Monica Playhouse and just started. And, you know, I never looked back. What do you get out of it? What does it do for you? Um, you know, uh, it just completely fulfills me. I, uh, you know, it gives me, uh, it's my, it feels like it's really my life's purpose. Um, and, uh, you know, I get so much satisfaction out of, uh, you know, depending on what, what I'm doing, you know, as an actor, I love, uh, you know, hearing from people and knowing that, uh, I've moved someone, uh, in a certain way emotionally or, um, you know, I've, uh, something that I've done has made them more clear about who they are as a person. And, uh, you know, I do this because, uh, really there's nothing else in the world that I can imagine myself doing. And, uh, this is where my heart and soul is, but, you know, there's a part of, of the people and, and, um, people's reaction and, and, um, and connection to the work that I've done that, that really always kind of re-energizes me, uh, you know, when, uh, when I'm down or when work is hard or, you know, uh, you know just con- it's kind of a constant reminder of, you know, it's, it's about more than just me. So I've been, you know, checking out your career uh-huh. as we prepared for this interview and, you know, you're what, in your early thirties? Uh, yeah. And, you know, I just, just turned 30. You have a lot of momentum in your career for someone your age. Thank you. I appreciate that. It must be pretty exciting. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's exciting. And it's, um, you know, this uh, is a business that is very difficult and wearing. And, uh, you know, I think you constantly get reminded and, and, uh, of your place. And, you know, for me, it's been something that's been amazing because it's kept me very grounded because uh, momentum and, you know, it means so much until, you know, you're obviously at a point where, you know, you don't have to worry ever about your next job, but otherwise, you know, we're always constantly kind of wanting to get to the next step and wanting to work more and, and, you know, uh, and do more. And so, 
I'm excited about what I have going for me, and I'm also excited about uh, the future and, uh, you know, uh, the challenges that it faces and, uh, you know, the exciting projects as an actor and as a director. And there'll be lots of projects that I don't get, and, uh, you know, there'll be projects that hopefully I will get. You've done some really fun stuff. I mean, Star Trek. I watched Train. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Up to the point where they started. That was fun. Well, I watched it up to the point where they started dismembering you, and then I was kind of over it. Oh, yeah. It, you know, what's funny is they actually dismember me for a, a solid 30 pages of the script. I don't, I, don't, I don't actually die until I have the last scene with Thora Birch when she comes back in and finds me all dismembered, and I'm still able to talk, of course. And that's, uh, that's after about 30 minutes of, you know, torture. <laughs> Well, when they started going at you with the eye thing, I was like, okay. It looked like it would have been a fun thing to be doing. I mean, because obviously when you're shooting a film like that, it's not real. And Yeah, you know, um, horror films are, are fun. You know, we shot it in Eastern Europe, which is a beautiful, beautiful part of the world. And, uh, you know, it was an amazing cast and, uh, you know, a good crew and a good director. Horror films are obviously very uh, difficult the audience doesn't really realize that, you know, as an actor, you know, uh, we're dealing with lots of makeup and hours and hours and hours of sitting in a chair and getting ready and, you know, laying in sticky, gooey, you know, blood that's made out of sugar. And, you know, oh boy, it's, uh, it's a serious process and uh, it's hard, but uh, it's still a lot of fun. And then I saw boy culture which is completely different Uh yes and i thought was a really beautiful film thank you very much you know uh i'm very proud of the film i'm proud of uh everybody's work in it and around it Uh, actually the the dp the director of photography on on that film is actually uh the the director of photography on my film that i directed flying lessons and uh, is going to be my director of photography on every project I do. He's a part of my company now. And, uh, you know, I've, I've made relationships as well as one of the um, producers on Boy Culture, a line producer, Jenny Hinky, is a part of my company and produced Flying Lessons with me. I really made some amazing friendships and, uh, and had an incredible experience on that project. I really did. And um, I didn't know exactly how it was going to turn out. And the way it turned out, I I, uh, I couldn't be happier. You know, I feel like uh, as an actor, I was uh, able to uh, give this character some depth and uh, make him likable, even though it's, uh, you know, a tough character to really like. And that was my goal. And I feel like I, I achieved that as an actor. And I think Alan, the director, achieved that uh, in his vision. And, uh, and I think it just came together very very well and you know it's gotten a lot of exposure lately and that's been that's been um really exciting and um and amazing that you know it's getting seen all, all over the world by um by all sorts of people and you know there's talk that that it's going to be made into a tv show and uh <clears throat> which is really exciting i ran into one of the producers and uh they're they're talking about making a series out of it and wow uh, you know it's 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 gone a long way it's had it's had really long legs it's been exciting you know from the beginning it's been really exciting and the fact that it's had this huge burst uh the last six months is uh, amazing and some of the emails i get are incredible from people that it's you know 
changed their life and uh, you know made them accept who they are and you know and those are the things that, that keep me going so um, it's it's been amazing for me it's really been a, a life-changing experience when you read an email like that from someone it inspires you or at least it inspires me to uh, you know to keep doing it and, and to, to go further with it and uh, it just you know, it's it's beautiful. I mean, it moves me every time I read something like that. So I'm I'm very thankful and grateful for that. That was the first part of my conversation with Derek Magyar. After we spoke, I asked him if there were a speech or a part he had played that he was most proud of, and he uh, suggested that I play a clip from Boy Culture. So this is a scene between Derek Magyar and Patrick Bosho from Boy Culture. Don't any couples just fall in love and that's that? Very few, I suspect. And he said I could keep hustling, but it hurt him. What's keeping you from quitting? The truth is, I like it. That's it? I don't know. I think you do. When a client pays me, it feels like a relief. Something inside me lets go. Do you think you would feel the same if you were paid in feelings instead of money? That's hard to imagine. Maybe you should give your imagination more of a chance. It's a great little part of that scene between Derek and Patrick. If you see the film, you'll, you'll recognize when that happens, and I think it's, it's powerful. So we're going to listen to a little music from Boy Culture, actually. I thought I'd play uh, something from their soundtrack. This is called The Things I Need to Hear by Ari Gold. Stop my fear Your lips 
to the second part of my conversation with Derek Magyar on Paradigms. Tell us about Flying Lessons. Um, Flying Lessons is a, a movie that I directed uh, and was produced by Mark Johnson, who produces uh, anything from the Chronicles of Narnia to the new David Chase film, and Mark and uh, Chris Carter, who uh, created The X-Files. And it's really a character drama about a a girl who uh, bottoms out and is forced to kind of move back home and uh, face the past that she left behind through the suicide of, of her father. It's a, it's a dark drama, but uh, it's really performance based. I'm really excited about it. And, uh, you know, Hal Holbrook was in it uh, has become a, a dear friend of mine and uh, somebody that I'm going to work with in every single project that I do from now on. So, um, He's actually going to be in uh, in Romeo and Juliet, which is really exciting. Wow, your lucky star just keeps rising. It's uh, it's a blessing, I tell you. I'm curious about the, and and I think people ask actors who direct this question all the time. But what was different for you being behind the camera rather than in front of it? Um, you know, it was uh, it was thrilling to be behind it. Uh, the same way it is to be in front of it. Uh, you know, I was, uh, tempted to, it was hard for me not to play the role of Billy as, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an actor and that's, that's the core of who I am. And I've really found a connection to directing, but what I really found, uh, that really thrilled me about it was that, uh, because I've been acting so long, I really know what actors need and uh, want and uh, what gets them to a place and uh, when to talk to them, when not to talk to them, when to, uh, you know, respect the process and, and, and just let the camera unfold what's happening. And, you know, I think it, uh, it's special for, for, uh, especially for the actors involved when it's an actor's director. And I think uh, that was incredibly thrilling for me because uh, I was really acting as I was directing, if that makes any sense. Yeah, you were identifying with the actors. Absolutely, and I was able to kind of really physicalize it and, and, and 
and be an actor, even though I was, you know, directing the film. So well, I look forward to it seeing it. Yeah. It, uh, you know, I look forward to, uh, you know, having it released in theaters. It comes out in, uh, in September. So, uh, be on the lookout. I'm interested a little more just learning about you as a person. You grew up in Santa Monica and, uh, your name is Magyar, so I assume you come from Hungarian folks. Uh, yeah, my father is uh, came here in his late 20s, early 30s, uh, because he made a film on communism during the height of it, and uh, he had to flee the country and came to the United States. Uh, he was a filmmaker for about a decade, and then he went to the AFI and ran the uh, film school, and now he's at Chapman, and he runs the Chapman Film School. So it's really in your blood, this, this work. It is. It sure is. I'm curious what your thoughts are about what you see happening in the world. So, you know, obviously I think that we have a lot of problems in our own country, and I think it's important that we address those problems first before we can really be the, the strongest nation and the strongest country in the world because uh, I think it's hard for a lot of people to respect us the way that uh, they should be. And I also, uh, you know, feel incredibly strongly about what's happening in Egypt and, you know, the conflict between Palestine and Israel for years as I am Jewish on my on my mother's side. And uh, anyway, I you know, I, I overall consider myself to be a Democrat and, you know, very politically um, aware and involved in the the State of the Union was wonderful, and I just hope that he's able to follow through well. So we'll see where it goes from here, and um, a lot of difficult things happening at the same time in this world. So uh, I don't know. You know, it's a it's a tough time for for the world right now. It sure is, and yeah. and a lot of folks are, you know, some folks are in despair, and some folks are uh, being more solution oriented. Right. Right. And um, I'm someone who's definitely more solution-oriented, as in we need to fix, fix the problem immediately. What would you pick as a, a top focal point? If there was something that you could affect, what would you pick? You know, the first thing on the top of my mind would be strengthening our middle class as a country again, strengthening the dollar within the United States, creating more jobs, and then if I were to talk about something that I'd focus on immediately globally, it would be to resolve this conflict between Palestine and, and Israel. Have you ever been to that part of the world? I have. I've been to Israel before, and it's a beautiful country. And, you know, it's just a, a beef and a war that just needs to end. It needs to end. Something needs to find an ending to it. I've been to Israel a couple of times also, and... Um it is a beautiful place and wonderful people. Yes, and I, beautiful, I, absolutely wonderful. Did you ever hear of a place called Neve Shalom? It's a it's a peace village. No, know. I don't know it. I don't uh, know it. Jew, Israeli Jews, uh, Muslims, and Christians. Huh. And they all wow, live, that, that sounds like a place where everybody lives in harmony. They do, and uh, the that irony is that the the town that supervises it won't allow it to grow because they won't allow there to be more Arab housing built. Really? But, uh, and the village has a commitment to having an equal number of everybody. Right. Well, it sounds like it's a, a, a good principle, but it sounds like uh, they need to let it grow a little bit and expand. And you know, clearly more people want to be in, around an environment like that. So I think there's a fear in the Israeli government that what if everyone wanted to live in a peace village? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you know what? It wouldn't be the worst thing if you could create the 
create the Israel to be a, a, a country of peace, that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Uh, it'd be the best, you know, it's just, you know, a place that <clears throat> it's not really that scary to go. Uh, a lot of people are scared as tourists to go and visit because of what's happened, but it's not something that, that I really feel. However, I just think it's something that needs to be settled. And every time the government, the two governments meet, it never goes anywhere. And, uh, you know, it's something that can be stopped. And I, and there's so much genocide all over the world that just doesn't have to happen. And I think it's important as the quote unquote strongest country in the world that we help facilitate that. At the same time, we need to focus on our issues that we're, we have on our own because we've got some issues now that are worse than we've had, you know, in 30, 40 years. So, you know, there's lots of stuff. Let's put it that way. Yeah, there certainly is. Well, I really appreciate you taking time to, to talk with me about these things. And it's always interesting, you know, to get different points of view. Thank you very much. Sure. Well, thank you very much. And, uh, you know, I look forward to speaking in the future. Derek Magyar. If you uh, go to the Paradigms website, paradigms.bz, you will find there a link to the trailer for Derek's film, Flying Lessons, which will be out in the fall. And I'm looking forward to seeing it. Thank you, Derek. Now, this part of the show was going to include an interview with a filmmaker on the ground in Cairo. I spoke with him a couple of days ago, and we arranged to speak uh, today, and now I'm unable to get through to him. So I mentioned that. Hope we would get to speak with him. Hope we would get to hear what's going on in Cairo. Clearly, what's happening in Egypt is very serious, and what we're hearing is skewed through corporate media, which is also... Uh, influenced by the government, the positions of the government. So all that we know at this point is that the U.S. government is backing uh, the newly named Vice President Suleiman, who has ties to the CIA and is known for having authorized torture when he was the head of security forces in Egypt. So just hope that people are okay, and uh, I'm sorry I couldn't bring you that interview. We're going to get into the next part of our show now. We're going to start out with a piece of music by Paul Winter called Garden of the Earth. And then we'll be hearing the first part of my conversation with Shyla Nelson of the Good Earth Singers. Here's Paul Winter.
That was uh, Paul Winter with Garden of the Earth, and he recorded that in Russia. Boy, I guess it's been quite some years ago now. Uh, he went and took a trip with a bunch of musicians, his his folks, and up by Lake Baikal in Siberia, and they sang with people there. And you can just hear all those voices singing together. And that really speaks to where we're going next in the program, which is to talk with Shyla Nelson of the Good Earth Singers. So let's hear the first part of my conversation with Shyla. My name is Shyla Nelson, and I'm the founder of the Good Earth Singers, which is a global grassroots movement whose mission is to use the power of community-based singing to heal humanity's relationship with the earth. Wow. Tell, tell us more about the Good Earth Singers and what you're doing. Sure. Uh, the Good Earth Singers began actually as a, a kind of inspiration on Earth Day of 2009 when um, after, I'd say after a period of maybe two or three years of just holding this idea in a kind of gestation, I uh, woke up on Earth Day 2009 and bam, there it was, the Good Earth Singers as an idea uh, whose, I guess we could say, whose time had come. And, and what really inspired it uh, for me was this increasing awareness that we, we are at a time of great change and great uncertainty in, um, in the planet's history. And we as a species, uh, it could be argued, are, are struggling a little to understand what's happening and our role in what's happening. Mm-hmm. And as a, as a singer myself, I've been singing professionally for for quite a long time, over 20 years, I have seen in my own experiences what happens when people come together and sing together and uh, how healing that can be, how uplifting that can be. And I saw that there was a link to be made between bringing people together in community through singing to affirm the, the beauty of our earth, the strength and resilience of our earth, and hopefully also to then inspire us all to a deeper level of stewardship and care for this good earth, as we say. That's inspiring just to hear that. I'm, I'm interested in uh, some of my listeners, some of our listeners may not have had the experience of singing with other people. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what that actually does. And then, yeah, what, what does that do for people? That's a great question, Baruch, and, and there, are, there are any number of levels in which one might answer that question. Um, on a physiological level, we know that the human voice carries sound and vibration. Um, just looking at, at sound physics, we know that there are scientists who have explored deeply uh, what, what happens when the human voice is activated and um, sustains tone, and we will be actually sharing some of that wisdom as part of our ongoing effort to help people understand on many levels uh, the phenomenon of um, really looking at the power of the human voice. So that's, you know, looking at it first on an individual level, the, the physics of singing, and there are, there's all manner of research that has been done about the benefits of singing on respiratory health, on the reduction of stress responses in the body, uh, the mitigation of adrenaline responses, you know, helping to calm the body. Then when you take that experience and bring it to a community level or a communal or group level, 
there's something that happens in the, the, the word is in training, where voices come together in either unison or then maybe in harmony that, that activates something on, on a whole bunch of levels, neurologically, of course, but then also emotionally. And I would also suggest spiritually. Even just the act of singing Happy Birthday at an informal gathering with friends, something in the air changes after we have had an experience like that with each other. And so to those of your listeners who may not yet have had that experience, I really look forward to, uh, to facilitating in various ways as we are those opportunities through the work of the Good Earth Singers uh, for those who maybe haven't yet had the experience of uh, coming together in community to share voices together. It's a it's an incredibly beautiful experience. I've been, you know, lucky enough to have sung with people many times in my life and it really is transformative. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I think it's one of the most powerful forces for transformation that we as human beings have access to. And it's so easy, except sometimes people have a lot of fear about singing with others. What about that? Yes. One of the central aspects of my work, both as the founder of this movement and also in my work with individual clients, is that many, many people, for one reason or another, um, come into their own relationship with their voice in a, in a complex or emotionally difficult way. Perhaps they were told as children that they can't sing. Um, perhaps it was a running joke in a family, you know, ha, 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 I can't carry a tune in a bucket, or... Maybe they were told to mouth the words by their music teacher in school. I hear these stories regularly. And on the one hand, we can laugh about that, but there's a much deeper level that I think works on us uh, emotionally, which is what does it mean for us as children to be told our voices are not valuable to be shared in community? That's a very profound statement, which I have found in working with adults later comes back in one way or another and manifests in in all kinds of interesting ways for us. Our capacities for self-expression can be significantly impacted by that little voice in our head that says somehow my voice doesn't count or my voice doesn't matter or my voice isn't worth being heard. Uh, Those are very deep levels. And so a big part of the work that we're doing with this movement is also to create opportunities for people to come into community and to heal those experiences. And I've heard story after story from people saying, you know, I was told I can't sing, blah, blah, blah. And, and the next thing you know, they're singing in a community, in a circle of singers where there's no judgment, there's no competition. It's just the joy of singing for the earth. And in that process, great healing has happened. Just as those other messages affect us profoundly when we contradict those messages that life change can be equally profound. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the Good Earth Singers are global. What does that mean, people singing together globally? (laughs) It means many different things. Yes. Um, We are a movement, not an ensemble per se. And that's an important facet of what we're doing, the Good Earth Singers is a song movement, and we believe every human being on Earth is a member by virtue of being here. So congratulations, you've all made it. <laughs> Yay! 
Yay! Your birth was your audition. And the way that the global nature of this uh, manifests is twofold. One is we are beginning to see the establishment of Good Earth Singers communities all over the world in various countries. We now have um, communications and contacts with over 20 countries and growing every day, every week. In addition to that, we are calling for the assembling of a global choir, 15 million strong, to sing together on December 21st, 2012, which, as many know, is widely considered to be a pivot point in um, the completion of the Mayan calendar and a time in history that is already being, um, in many ways, hyped, if you will, by the media as the end of the world or Armageddon. And we're coming together very intentionally on that day to invite human beings to affirm together through singing uh, that we are a global citizenry, we are a global community, we are um, here intrinsically connected to this earth, and we are choosing this day as an opportunity to celebrate that with each other. I have a huge smile on my face listening. <laughs> Great. It's very exciting. This has never happened before on this planet. That is correct. We realized two weeks ago, as I was doing some extraordinary uh, conceptual work with Dr. Roger Nelson, who is the founder of the Global Consciousness Project, uh, and some additional um, extraordinary souls, including Ambassador Sigun Olushala of Nigeria, I came to the realization two weeks ago that we are actually creating the largest global music project in world history. I just sat down. I just had to sit down for a minute. Yeah, that's pretty mind-blowing. How can people (laughs) connect with this? We have several ways that people can connect. We have a website, uh, www.goodearthsingers, all one word, goodearthsingers.org. We are in the process of uh, redesigning that website. It will be live within a week, uh, and there will be opportunities for people to learn more about the specific song that we're inviting people to sing together and instructions on how to do that. Also, there will be information on the site with registries of communities all over the world so that any of your listeners could look for locations near them where others may have started a Good Earth Singers chapter or if they're inspired to start one in their own community, we welcome that and have information that we can send out through email for anybody who would like to start a singing community in their own area of the world. And it could be even groups of people getting together as friends in a living room, you know, just to sing for the earth. The, the beauty of what is being created here is that it could be any style of singing, any culture, the, the intention behind it is simply to sing for our good earth in community with others. In addition to that, we have a Facebook page, which is presently where we are keeping people apprised of the literally moment-by-moment, day-by-day developments as the movement unfolds. It's a very highly dynamic process right now with lots of major developments happening every day. And we use Facebook right now as a place where people can get information kind of up to the minute on what we're doing. You know, listening to you, again, I want to say the excitement coming through you is so infectious because I'm, I'm on board. Great. Yay. Shyla Nelson. 
I'm really looking forward to participating in this thing she's organizing. I think it could be great, and I hope you will check out her website. Uh, there's a link on our website. It's the goodearthsingers.org. Before we hear the next part of my conversation with Shiloh, I'm just going to play some music for you. Um, the first one is actually from a local Vermont group, and this group is a, a group of mostly women who get together and do nature-oriented spiritual questing. Fran Weinbaum organizes it, and this recording comes from a live performance that a bunch of these people did, there's one man in the group, on WGDR, which is a local community radio station here in central Vermont. You might recognize the song, you might not, but these people love singing together, and it's part of this self-initiatory wilderness-based rite of passage that they do. And it's not something that costs money. It's it's really a, a community group thing. And if you're interested in that and you live in the area, you can contact Fran Weinbaum at 802-229-0940. But we're going to hear a song that they put together and performed on WGDR on Deb Rieger's show, which is called Moccasin Tracks. The song is called I Thank the Earth. We're going to listen to that and then get into a couple of um, commercial recordings that are also of people really love singing together. And I encourage you to sing along. And if you don't know the words, tone along. If you're alone, that might be easier. If you're with someone, you could sing together and see how it feels. Part of what Shiloh's talking about is how good it feels to sing with people. So try it out. Anyway, here is I Thank the Earth. I thank the earth for feeding my body. I thank the sun for warming my bones. I thank the trees for the air that I breathe. And I thank the water for nourishing my soul. I thank the earth for feeding my body. I thank the sun for warming my bones. I thank the trees for the air that I breathe, and I thank the water for nourishing my soul. I thank the earth for feeding my body. I thank the sun for warming my bones. I thank the trees for the air that I breathe, and I thank the water for nourishing my soul.
That one is called Caught in the Rain. It's actually from Fleetwood Mac. Back in the early 70s, an album called Penguin. Just catching those harmonies and the way they're singing together and the beauty of it. It's a powerful thing, singing together, people singing together. Before that, we heard a song called This Is Us. It's a live version of that song from Mark Knopfler and Emmylou Harris. Again, here are people who really enjoy singing and really enjoy singing together. You know, Emmylou Harris is known for her ability to harmonize, and she's talked about how much she loves singing harmonies. And in that song, you can really hear it. And before that, we heard the EarthQuest singers with I Thank the Earth. Let's hear the second part of my conversation with Shyla Nelson. Then we'll be back with more music. You're listening to Paradigms on WBKM.org. I'm interested to learn a little more about you and your experience with music, and you've been a singer for 20 years, and sort of the role of music in your life, and what brought you to this? Yes, I I began singing professionally when I was 17 years old, and, and I can also say that I've known really since childhood that my path was a path that involved singing and music, that this, I've known this was intended to be my life. And uh, again, began singing professionally at 17. I had a series of, of difficult um, experiences in my late adolescence and early adulthood, which resulted in a near-death experience that happened at the age of 20, coming out of which I actually lost my voice for a period of time. Uh, that experience was a profound pivot for me. I was 20 years old, and uh, incidentally, it happened, this experience happened on September 11th, 1988. So interesting, September 11th has been a date in my consciousness for, for many years. On that very day, halfway around the world, in the little country called Estonia, a million men, women, and children took to the streets of all of the major cities of Estonia and sang for their lives and for their freedom as Soviet troops and tanks moved into their cities. That particular day marked the apex of what we now call the singing revolution, which happened in the late 1980s in Estonia, through which they gained their sovereignty as a country. And I mention that because with all that we are learning about the power of sound, the power of vibration, and I would say the power of song on a macro level, I actually have come to believe that something happened while I was lying in a hospital bed halfway around the world on that day that linked me somehow to the energy that was being created by the Estonian people. And I believe that they provided us with a blueprint for what we now are being called to do on a global level to reclaim the sovereignty, if you will, the health and the well-being of our planet. So my work as an artist really comes out of that experience and the process by which I reclaimed my own voice is a process that involved um, some intensive kind of physiological uh, reclaiming, retraining, and then also the emotional and spiritual components of, you know, working out of various Eastern and Western spiritual traditions to understand what it means spiritually and emotionally for any one of us to literally reclaim our voices and stand on the earth as the people were intended to be. So all of that is infused in the work that I'm doing on behalf of this 
beautiful planet that I happen to love very deeply and to bring all of my artistic capacities into service to help do what I can to facilitate a healing in the relationship between humanity and the earth. Those experiences that we sometimes have that bring us right to the edge of our existence can be so powerful and I know sometimes people have those experiences and it becomes clear right away what uh, the new trajectory is. And sometimes people have those experiences and they feel really lost and they don't know clearly where to go next. And I guess I'm just picking up on what you're saying and having had experiences in my life that brought me to that edge and transformed my direction, it's important for people to have some patience with it. Yes, yes. I I couldn't agree more with you about the patience Um, because I think when we do have those, what what I might call ground of being experiences, it it is so intense, it really reorganizes us, I think, on a cellular level. And there can be some disorientation coming out of that and a desire to understand what happened, what is this, what does it mean, how does it change my life? And in my experience, uh, that happened, of course, in 1988. It's now 2011. It's, you know, nearly 23 years later. And I would say that it has been an ever-unfolding path of understanding the significance, one day at a time, one step at a time, uh, from that experience in 1988 to now, just this continuous blossoming of revelation of understanding and at various times I too have felt um, the impatience of wanting to know and I feel now uh, that that yes much of my understanding of of the significance of that has now been made clear but I also know that it's always the beginning of a new mystery that we don't ever arrive at a place where, okay, I've got it now. And the moment I think I've, quote, got it, some other revelation, something opens up, and I'm once again in that place of saying, wow, you know, this is amazing. I can't believe now this, you know, just when it couldn't get more beautiful, it becomes more beautiful. And I think learning to trust that process and to trust that it is an ever unfolding process is, uh, is a path that, that I think creates for us as human beings the greatest adventure we could ever imagine and, and then beyond what we could even imagine. I, I am right with you there. <laughs> I hope that uh, the people listening can take a moment to reflect on those events in their own life and looking backwards sometimes it's much easier to see how things changed what you're saying but that yes that mystery going forward some people are terrified of that that's okay and yet it can just be exciting too we don't have to know that's right i I like to say this is the best amusement park in the universe (laughs) and i like the fact that i believe that as human beings we we signed up for for deep knowing in, in coming here and being human, I think we've signed up for two things that can sometimes appear to be oppositional, but which I don't think are oppositional at all. And that is we've signed up for deep knowing, and we've also signed up for wonder. That at any moment, something can happen in our lives, and we can simultaneously say, well, yes, of course, of course, 
that makes perfect sense. And also have that moment of that childlike, wow, that's incredible. And, and that we can hold both of those poles, if you will, in, in our being. And I think when we can expand ourselves to hold both, there's a richness that daily life is given and, uh, and a sense of, I think, a deeper purpose, even if we don't know exactly what that means at any given moment. Yep. And I think that that's really, that's where the magic is for me. It's beautiful. Well, Shyla, I want to thank you so much. We could probably talk for hours, and I hope sometime we get to sit down and do that. Um, Me too. But thank you so much for sharing what you're doing and your own experience and the Good Earth Singers, and I'm definitely looking forward to being part of that. So glad to have you join us, Baruch. All right, Shyla Nelson from the Good Earth Singers. I hope you'll check out her website, and I hope you'll, you'll sing with us on... December 21st, 2012. We're still here, right? Well, we're going to listen to some more music, and then we'll come back. going to start out with something from Johnny Clegg and Jaluka called December African Rain.
thousands and thousands will gather together seek and find something we all were more examples of people singing together, beautiful, harmonizing, and, and singing together. We heard uh, Loggins and Messina's song, Golden Ribbons, a particularly topical song, I think, it, for this time in the world. And also, you can again hear that they're loving singing together. It's something we can do. It's something we can all do. Crosby, Stills, and Nash, 49 bye-byes. Again, hear those voices together. What must it feel like to be singing 
together like that. We, we can all do that. And we started out with Johnny Clegg and Jaluka. We're coming to the end of another edition of Paradigms. I hope you uh, check out Derek Magyar's film Flying Lessons when it comes out in September. And, and check out Boy Culture. It's, it's an adult-themed film. It's not for kids. Um, but it's a really beautiful film, actually, that encompasses some of the this struggle of being human, something we all experience in, in different ways. And I hope you'll check out The Good Earth Singers. And let's keep our eyes on what's happening in the Middle East and wish for freedom and liberty and peace and justice all over the world, because pretty much all governments are repressive at this point. All right. We're going to end tonight with a song sung by some folks that are in a family together. Rufus, Martha, and Loudon Wainwright singing together, What'll I Do? on Paradigms on WBKM.org. We'll see you next time.
You've been listening to Paradigms on WBKM.org. Thank you.